This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. The title of my sermon is, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Turn to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am. They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. This morning we're going to consider two questions that the Lord Jesus Christ put to his disciples, to the twelve, and we'll look at their answers We'll also consider what Jesus said to them about his forthcoming death and resurrection. First of all, Jesus asked his disciples, whom say the people that I am? We see that in verses 18 and the answer in verse 19. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, His disciples were with him and he asked them saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. Verse 18 starts with the words, and it came to pass. In other words, Luke, having just given details in the previous verses, verses 10 to 17, about Jesus feeding the multitude with five loaves of bread and two small fishes. We we looked at that two weeks ago, didn't we? That miraculous uh, feeding of the multitude. So Luke had given details about that miracle, but he leaves out a certain period of time leading up to today's considerations. Hence the words, and it came to pass. The period of time that Luke omits is covered in the other gospel accounts and it's worthwhile considering some of what has been said in the other gospel accounts and we will do that from time to time to help us with our understanding. According to verse 19 in our passage, there were those who thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. That's an interesting one. They thought that John the Baptist, that, that Jesus was John the Baptist. The thing is, John the Baptist had been beheaded at the orders of King Herod. Looking back at verse 7, Luke chapter 7, it's written, Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, of Jesus, and he was perplexed. Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. You see it there, John was dead. Yet people thought that Jesus was John risen from the dead. John the Baptist that is. 
So, in verse 7, Herod's courtiers must have imagined that Jesus was John, raised from the dead. Not only that, but it would seem that King Herod was himself persuaded by his courtiers that Jesus was indeed John the Baptist, raised from the dead. We get that from Matthew's Gospel uh, that tells us, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So we've got um, Herod's courtiers and even Herod himself thinking that Jesus is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Also there were those who said that Jesus was Elias, that is Elijah, the prophet Elijah, It might be worth your while keeping your finger in Luke chapter 9 and turning to the last book in the Old Testament. It's an easy one to find, but the last book in the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. And look at the last two verses in the last book of the Old Testament. Very significant to what we're considering right now. Look at the last couple of verses in the book of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah, that's Elias. I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's it. And there endeth the Old Testament. And and after that you've got 400 years of silence. And that silence is broken with, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. But not only that, there were people who believed, as we see here, in, in our passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 19, that people thought that Jesus was Elijah. Elijah never died. He's one of two people on record in the Old Testament who never died. There may have been others, I don't know. But one of them was Enoch and the other one was Elijah. In fact, Elijah the prophet was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And as he was taken up, his fellow prophet Elisha stood there and witnessed it. What a, what a thing to see that must have been. Elisha seeing Elijah being taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. But he never died, that's the thing. What is, rec- what is recorded in the book of Malachi about Elijah? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. That was written... 900 years after the prophet Elijah was taken up to heaven in the chariot of fire. And as I've already said, it was also 400 years, it was written 400 years before we get to the New Testament and to Jesus coming into the world. Clearly, there were those who, being acquainted with that prophecy, had made up their minds that Jesus was the prophet Elijah who had come down from heaven having been sent by God. They put 
two and two together and made five, thinking that, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Ah, that must be Jesus, the one who's performing all these miracles, such as feeding the multitude. But they were, they were wrong. When we know that for an absolute fact, back in Luke chapter 1, I don't know if you would remember it when we looked at Luke chapter 1, an angel of the Lord spoke to Zacharias the priest. Zacharias the priest, he was the father of John the Baptist. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Zacharias even before John the Baptist had been conceived in his mother's womb. And the the angel said to Zacharias the priest, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and shall call his name John, as in John the Baptist, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great, in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now listen to this bit. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah. This is John the Baptist shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Therefore, when God, speaking through the prophet Malachi in the last book of the Old Testament said, I will send you Elijah the prophet that was not a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, but to John the Baptist, who was born not as a reincarnation of Elijah, but who would bear a striking resemblance to Elijah with regards his zeal and his disposition. In many ways, he would be like Elijah of old. Coming back to... Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. I don't know if you've still got that page open. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 where it is written, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, who we now know is John the Baptist, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You'll notice there that Lord is in capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's speaking of Yahweh or Jehovah, the covenant name of God. So John the Baptist will come um, before the great and dread, dreadful day of Yahweh, Jehovah God. If Elijah refers to John the Baptist, which it does, as we've seen, then whom do you think the, the Lord with uppercase letters is? Who is it? Who is the Lord? Who did John the Baptist prepare the way for? We can be precise about this. We know from Malachi, from the prophecy, that it's Yahweh or Jehovah. But who did John the Baptist, in the spirit of Elijah, prepare the way for? Who was he the forerunner of? Jesus. Jehovah Jesus. 
It's a very clear case of the Bible telling us very clearly that Jesus is God. And John the Baptist came to prepare the way for God. Manifest in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see a lot more of that as this, as we progress through this sermon. And coming back to Luke chapter 9, verse 19, last of all, we see that there were those who thought that Jesus was one of the prophets of old, risen again. They had, they had their various ideas. Those who thought he's John the Baptist, those who thought that uh, Jesus was Elijah, and now those who thought that Jesus is one of the prophets of old, risen again. An example of the people thinking that Jesus was what, was a prophet can be seen after Jesus fed the multitude. The details aren't given to us in Luke's Gospel. They're given in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. There were, I'll read it to you anyway. John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. This is, again, this is after the feeding of the multitude. There were men who, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. There you go. They thinking Jesus is the prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. The miracle that is spoken of, it refers to the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 plus, and more like feeding of the 10,000. And the people who witnessed it, and no doubt had filled their bellies with food, arrived at the conclusion that Jesus was that prophet that should come into the world. And that may have been a, a reference to a prophet who was referred to by Moses 1500 years earlier when Moses was in the world and Moses said to the children of Israel the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me unto him shall ye hearken and and to be sure Jesus he is a prophet with a capital P in the sense that Jesus he comes with the the message of God the difference is, he is that message. Unlike the other prophets, Jesus is the message itself. And Moses was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So consequently, those who thought that Jesus was a prophet sent by God, they tried to make him an earthly king, who would no doubt kick out the Roman occupation and restore Israel to its former glory. They, they they got the wrong end of the stick. They saw the miracle. Yes, this is the prophet who should come. He is going to kick out the Romans and restore our former glory. But that's not why Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as for a kingdom, they, they tried to the, the people tried to make Jesus a king. By force, take him by force and make him a king. But as Jesus said to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, just before he was crucified, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. Despite that, even now, all these years later, there are people who are hanging on for Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom upon his return, despite him saying, my kingdom is not of this world. The good news is that all of you who have shown repentance towards God and you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been delivered. I'm talking about something that has already happened. You have been delivered out of the power of darkness and you have been transferred into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even now, dear friend, You are a citizen of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something that you have to wait for. It's a present reality. I don't know what your thoughts are on the the monarch and uh, the, the... I don't want to go into any of that stuff. The, 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 The monarch that we have in the United Kingdom or anything like that. But first and foremost, what I would say to anyone, is that my king is the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am a citizen of his kingdom. Well, so much for those who thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, or the prophet Elijah, or one of the prophets of old, risen from the dead. But now we come to the second and that all-important question. Jesus asked his disciples, but whom say ye that I am? Never mind everyone else now, who do you say that I am? And look at the answer that they give. In verse 20, Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And Christ means Messiah, it means anointed by God. Luke records a little bit, uh, sorry, Mark records a little bit more. Mark says, thou art the Christ. Well, actually, Luke records more, doesn't it? Let's get this right. Mark records, thou art the Christ. Luke, as we've just seen here, records the Christ of God. So Luke brings God into it, the Christ of God. Matthew records the most with Peter saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus knew very well that the twelve, the twelve disciples knew that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew that. Jesus did not have to ask them that. He knew it because Jesus, he knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. What he was doing was extracting a confession of faith from the twelve or from his disciples by the mouth of Peter. In that confession of faith, by saying that Jesus is the Christ, Peter was acknowledging that Jesus is the one whom God had, in many of the Old Testament prophecies, promised to send into the world. 
I'm going to say this again, but let's remember that they did not have the New Testament at the time. 700 years earlier, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah had said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He wasn't speaking of himself, the prophet. This is something he was prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord have anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He have sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. It's already been seen in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 that Jesus He stood up in the synagogue and he read that prophecy from the scroll and then he declared himself to be the fulfilment of it. Jesus, having been sent by God, is the one who delivers people from captivity. Captivity to sin, to Satan, and he gives them everlasting life. Jesus is the one who had had the Spirit of the Lord upon him, having been sent into the world in fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy. And by saying that Jesus is the Son of the living God, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, Peter and the others were giving voice to their heart's conviction that Jesus is God's Son, not like an angel or a Christian, but as the only begotten Son of God. God manifest in the flesh, who is one with his Father. Now, even as I'm reading this, I'm I'm actually very mindful that one of those twelve would end up betraying him. Yeah? The son of perdition. You've got to remember that even the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. We're talking about a confession that Jesus is the Son of God. We haven't gone beyond that at the moment. Jesus is the Christ sent by God. Jesus is the Son of God. This is something that they believed, the Twelve. Thirdly, Christ's strong warning to the Twelve. Look at verses 21 and 22. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, that thing that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. The time had not come. It had not yet come for the disciples to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ of God. To do that would have only served to strengthen people's resolve for Jesus to to reign as an earthly king and ruler. And that, again, that is not why he came into the world. Jesus did not come into the world to sit on an uh, an earthly throne. Then, neither, uh, uh, from my understanding, neither will he do in the future. Not this world. Jesus, the Christ of God, came into the world to save sinners and that would be achieved by his sacrificial death on the cross and by his resurrection from the dead on the third day and that was something that people by and large had not grasped. They had not understood it. But it's not as if the Old Testament was silent on the sacrificial death of the Christ of God. 
following the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the Lord speaking to the serpent way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The Lord said, I will put enmity between thee, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Those words speak of conflict between Christ, who is the seed of the woman, and the devil. Though Christ would suffer, he would nevertheless be victorious over the devil. And in Psalm 22, verse 16 through to 18, David was clearly speaking about the crucifixion 1,000 years before it happened. When, when he said, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell or I may count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture or my, my clothing. All of that happened at the cross. The Roman soldiers even cast lots for the Lord's clothing. And that was all prophesied by David, a thousand years before it happened. The prophet Isaiah spoke very clearly about the sacrificial death of the Christ of God when he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity, the depravity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah said those words over 700 years before Jesus came into the world. So clearly speaks of Jesus. Also, it's not as if the Old Testament was silent about the resurrection of the Christ of God. Coming back to Psalm 22, after saying that they pierced my hands and my feet, David, speaking prophetically about Jesus, goes on to say, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Jesus will declare God's name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. The brethren refers to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. To call you brethren. All who belong to Jesus. And coming back to Isaiah's prophecy after speaking about Jesus being brought as a lamb to the slaughter, the prophet went on to say, he shall see of the travail or the labour of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. But he shall see of the travail of his soul. That's speaking of a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Not only had the multitude not yet understood what had been written about the sacrificial death 
and the resurrection of Christ, neither had the twelve. They didn't seem to have much idea or any idea either. Even though they had, by the mouth of Peter, just confessed Jesus to be the Christ of God. Even so, they didn't understand. That's abundantly clear in Matthew's Gospel, where we're informed that Peter took Jesus and began to rebuke him, if you please. Can you imagine that? Peter rebuking the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This is Peter telling Jesus, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter did that after Jesus told the twelve that he would be killed and raised again the third day. This this is not going to happen to you, Lord. He didn't get it. And we've no reason to imagine that any of the twelve got it. Applications now. We're greatly privileged nowadays in that we have completed Bibles consisting of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. What that means is is that we have the benefit of being able to join the dots between what was predicted in the Old Testament concerning the sacrificial death and the resurrection of the one whom God promised to send into the world and to the fulfilment in the New Testament. And it's it's easier to go the other way, isn't it? Uh, to, to, to see what happened in the New Testament and find the dot in the Old Testament in Isaiah's, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. And um, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And join, and join the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The prophecies and the fulfilments of prophecy concerning Jesus, his death and his resurrection. We have all that because we've got the 27 books of the New Testament. We are greatly privileged, greatly blessed in a way that they were not back then. They didn't have the New Testament. The prophecies of the Old Testament were yet to be fulfilled with the, concerning the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having said that, there was, uh, there were rather, nevertheless, varying levels of understanding. It's not as if everyone was completely in the dark concerning these things. What comes to mind always with me is that, the, that Old Testament Saint Job. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. Speaking of a man, his Redeemer, who is a man standing upon the earth. And then Job immediately went on to say, and I shall see God. He understood quite a lot, I would say. Job in the Old Testament. But John the Baptist, what about him? The forerunner. Of, um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he announce and herald the, the ministry, the, the, the start of the Lord's earthly ministry? He said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's significant that he said the Lamb of God. Clearly, um, John the Baptist, he understood that the Christ of God was sent into the world by God to be a sacrifice for sin in accordance and in fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies. 
with the completion of the scriptures, we have the benefit also of the doctrine of the apostles in the New Testament, which declares the divinity so clearly of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Even when Jesus was a little baby in the arms of Mary, in that little baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead told these things in the New Testament and that he laid the foundation of the earth the heavens are the work of his hands that he is the creator God we're told this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10 which means dear people that you have no excuse no excuse at all as we come to a close Don't be like the two billion or so Muslims whose Jesus is a prophet and nothing more. Or like the 1.2 billion or so Hindus whose Jesus is one of many thousands of gods. Don't be like the JWs for whom the man Jesus was a manifestation of the archangel Michael. Don't be like the majority of people on this island who have no interest at all in Jesus and only use his name as a swear word. Show repentance towards God, believing that Jesus, who fed a multitude of hungry tummies with five loaves of bread and two small fishes and who did many other miraculous works, is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was raised the third day according to the scriptures having sacrificially laid down his life at the cross where he was wounded believe this that he was wounded for your transgressions that he was bruised put to death for your iniquities and you shall receive forgiveness for all your sins and have a hope that reaches up to heaven where Jesus is. Amen.